0: Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way.
1: First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch.
0: You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow.
1: I like the laptop bags myself.
0: Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts.
1: Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime.
0: Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex.
1: That's it. That's our intro.
0: Now, time for the show.
1: And we are recording for Contrarians Corner for Strange Days.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host. And what would be the analogy, or the what would we be here?
1: If you're Ray Fiennes, am I Angelo Bassett, or am I Tom Zizmoor? What? Is, uh, hmm. The options are not great, but I can tell you I'm not Juliette Lewis.
0: Yes. I mean... Since we're a tandem, we could be Vincent D'Onofrio and William <laughs> Fichtner, but uh, but they're bad people, so I don't want to do that.
1: Is there a good person in this movie, Alex? Mm, no, maybe Angela <laughs> Bassett, but I mean, I don't know. The bar is low. James Cameron,
0: he's associated <laughs> with this, so but I can't remember. Do they? They don't have like a name for what they do plugging Squid? in yeah plugging in or whatever squidding it's not like this yeah there's not like a cool line like uh i don't know i'm blanking now what's like a fictional drug that's been made up for a movie we've done before
1: oh god i don't know uh, i think
0: the easiest comparison is uh um, like plugging
1: in is a matrix right
0: plugging in a matrix and fluid karma is a fictional drug we've discussed in a movie uh, that is going to come up multiple times in this episode. (laughs) So we can just wait until we get there. As today, we're traveling back to 1995. I guess fictionally, you would say, we're traveling back to New Year's Eve of 1999. As Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron come back to The Contrarians for Strange Days, starring Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore, Vincent D'Onofrio, Michael Wincott, and William Fitchner. And also Glenn Plummer, who has been on here before, and Julio, right before we started recording, he didn't know what I was referring to. So I we'll cross, <laughs> cross said bridge when we get there. Julio, Strange Days, a movie that I had just a vague familiarity with because it's a movie written by James Cameron. And also uh, Jay Cox has a screenwriting credit uh, Academy Award nominated uh, screenwriter for Gangs of New York so um, you know experience in his own right but you see this on paper you see Catherine Bigelow James Cameron you think we're in for one hell of a a blockbuster one hell of a ride Uh, and we're in for something there's a lot going on here as we mentioned that's the that should be the tagline of this movie
1: there might be a reason why Cameron and Bigelow didn't team up again (laughs) like we tried in Strange Days and then I'm like eh maybe not (laughs) how about we go our separate ways (laughs) (laughs) and we are covering this why julio uh this comes courtesy of a patron sam hurley this part of the patron takeover and it was sam's turn sam who's like juggling two kids right now he's he's really busy but but he he wanted to bring cameron to the front and, and Catherine bigelow came as a tag along, I guess. <laughs> because he said several months ago when he first submitted this and he's like, I think we're gonna be talking about James Cameron throughout twenty twenty three, so how about we use that that hype to bring light to a movie that not many people talk about. I present to you Strange Days. And I said, hey, I know that movie. I wonder if Alex does. And so Strange Days is inducted into Contranous Canon. Sadly I don't think we're going to hear from Sam. He said he was going to try to put his kids to sleep early enough that he could record the clip, but uh, unless he surprises us by the time that we get to real talk, uh, I think that we're just going to have to speculate if this is a, a movie that Sam Hurley likes or one that he dislikes. We'll we'll get to that later, but this is for you, Sam, and for everybody else, but mainly for you.
0: As of recording time, we don't have Sam's thoughts, but...
1: Uh... We have his prayers.
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, he's a bit of a
1: new zealander
0: yeah sam's a bit of a wild card so who's to say how he feels but to say how the critics feel about this at least according to the aggregate system of rotten tomatoes 68 percent. strange days struggles to make the most of its futuristic premise but what's left remains a well-directed reasonably enjoyable science fiction fantasy so for those of you who have never listened to The Contrarians before, let's start off by explaining what it is we do. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. But we typically find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated. One of those just gorgeous, ripe tomatoes that is often accompanied with a certified fresh IP, that wonderful logo. And what we'll do is bring those movies down to size, talk about maybe some overrated acting, direction, questionable storytelling, bad score, whatever we need to latch on to to make our case. Conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated. One of those nasty green splotches known as rotten. And as you could guess, we'll hype that movie up and discuss its positive merit. Maybe why uh, some people got the wrong idea about it, be it bold storytelling choices, good score, awesome soundtrack, underrated acting, whatever we need to, to find, to make our case. Now on those highly rated episodes, we usually shoot for about 85% and above uh, on our, green splotches the rotten episodes we usually target about 30% and below now this is a patron demand so you know we are more than happy to bend our rules for our adoring patrons and those who plop down the money that they work for they they take money that they earned By, you know, putting in a hard day's work at the nine to five and they say, God damn it, at least some of this money is going to Julio and Alex. So, of course, we're willing to bend the rules of what we do for them. Uh, So this is 68%. So it still is a fresh red shiny tomato. So we're going to treat this like it is the freshest movie ever. A hundred percenter.
1: You know who else bends the rules, Alex? James Cameron.
0: James Cameron absolutely does bend the rules. He (laughs) makes them, breaks them and then bends them. (laughs)
1: And then he dares you to do the same.
0: (laughs) And then he makes you feel like an idiot for not understanding what he does. (laughs) He just talks mad shit until you go and see Avatar 3 in the theater. (laughs) So, Julio, what I just described, our gimmick here, comprises the first half of uh, each episode that we do, part one. And we call that Contrarian's Corner. If listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, in this case, 1985's Strange Days, they just need to stick around for part two, the second half.
1: That is correct. Part two, aptly titled Real Talk. That's where we tell you how we really feel. We forget about the gimmick. We stop pretending. It's just our feelings, our true feelings about the movie. Did we like Strange Days? Did we not like Strange Days? Were we confused by Strange Days? Well, you'll find that out during Real Talk. I have seen this movie before. Alex, is your first time, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, so we're coming at it from different angles. It should be very interesting. Now, listen, I want you to know what, what we're talking about here, okay? This is not like TV only better. This is life. So, Alex, are you ready for some fresh quotes?
0: Yeah, man, 68% and um, a movie I found that more people than I had expected that I follow on Letterboxd had reviewed, uh, some of which have high opinions on it. So what 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 quotes did you pull for us? What were the critics saying?
1: Okay, I got four fresh tomatoes. I'm going to tell you, Alex, most people, I, I know that's easy to latch on to Cameron because it's, it's so easy to just do bits about him. But for the most part, people refer to this, and I guess rightly so, <laughs> as a Catherine Bigelow movie. So <laughs> these quotes, they don't even mention Cameron. For example, Travis Johnson from Blunt Magazine says, Catherine Bigelow's propulsive sci-fi thriller, Strange Days, is a stone cold ass kicking classic.
0: Ass kicking, eh?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think issue with the classic part of it, can it be a classic when most people, aside from the people in your letterbox, apparently uh, don't even know it exists?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting conundrum
1: of maybe a cult classic.
0: Yes, I think that would be more fitting or you could use some phrasing like unheralded classic or unfounded
1: classic or classic in like the that. making. Yes, there you go. All right, Travis, this is a nice first draft, but uh, get back to it get an editor yes uh next jack kroll from newsweek says director Catherine bigelow comes closer than any other filmmaker to turning movies into a virtual reality trip now alex this is before or after johnny mnemonic uh
0: good question it would have been pretty close in proximity
1: because i think once you've seen johnny mnemonic then this is nothing
0: all right, so that was May. It looks like it was a Memorial Day release, and this came in October. So Johnny Mnemonic came before this.
1: And then Bigelow just took the credit. Be even more relevant, I guess. How about uh, Lawnmower Man?
0: Lawnmower Man would have been before this.
1: Okay, so come on.
0: <laughs> lawnmower Man was 1992.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> Lawnmower Man crawled. Hey, Angelo, where's your Lawnmower Man? <laughs> Angelo crawled. So Johnny mnemonic could walk so Ray Fines could run in strange days.
0: So Bradley Cooper could uh, uh, eventually ape his look in this movie and <laughs> be- become a global <laughs> sex symbol.
1: It's all it's all part of the plan. Um, next, Chris Hewitt from Empire Magazine says Ray Fiennes is the perfect Lee's bag, while Angela Bassett and Juliette Lewis provide good support. Angel Bassett, debatable. We'll get into it, but I don't want to like get too far ahead of ourselves here. But I think this is Juliette Lewis's worst performance I've ever seen. Are you with me, or are you more charitable?
0: Uh, it's not good.
1: Is this uh is this our first uh, Juliette Lewis post Natural Born Killers?
0: She's in Mixed Nuts. That came after. Oh, there you go. Okay. Natural Born Killers. Well, how about this? It went Natural Born Killers, Mixed Nuts, and Strange Days. So we got to do the Basketball <laughs> Diaries next. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the next page will take takeover.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: And finally, Ange Anderson from Bitch Media says, Strange Days <laughs> Strange Days does something most dystopian films don't. It presents a future where we aren't all unhappily oppressed in a similar fashion. I'm not sure I understand what Ange is saying here, because it definitely presents a future where we are all. Unhappily oppressed, <laughs> or at least everybody in the movie is.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like a fun. Imagine watching this in 1995 and be like, "This is what I have to look forward to in four years."
1: <laughs> no wonder people were freaking out when uh, the year 2000 was about to roll in. Cameron and Bigelow just primed them to riot. Um, but that's it. That's that's. We'll discuss the state of mind of everybody here in this in this movie. We're ready for Contreras Corner. Alex, take us there. New Year's Eve, 1999. It's being called the party of the century,
0: but it may be the biggest party ever. No one's seen preparations like this, but preparations require care and insurance. And the LAPD is one insurance company that doesn't want accidents.
1: Do you remember New Year's Eve, 1999? What you were doing? Dude, I was partying hard it was nothing like this movie but then again i was a completely different country so who knows in the world of strange days maybe peru is also just a place where people are partying without violence but uh it was great uh, we went to cusco which is was one of my favorite places to, to party and uh okay much like the end of this movie you know people were in the streets I guess that was all over the world, but we were just like singing and dancing and celebrating and dodging fireworks. That was the dangerous part, I guess, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was great. It was I was there with my brother and a couple of friends, and it was just this euphoria spreading throughout the crowds, and everything was great. And there was a pretty good chance you were going to get laid. It was it was fantastic, not at all. Like I, I don't know what Cameron and Bigelow had in mind why they wanted to kill our buzz but it was nothing like this uh how about you i was 12 julio uh you could have still had some sort of celebration (laughs) i'm not saying that you had to get wasted but
0: uh no i don't really remember you know were uh, you were you
1: at least aware that it was kind of a big deal that we were entering the new millennium
0: yeah yeah i i kind of wish i was more aware at the time so i could have like really like worked myself into a shoot over the whole thing of being like paranoid that something was going to happen. But like, I remember like (laughs) just being like, Oh man, there's news stories and stuff. But I, I I kind of understood like the idea of why some people were freaking, I I don't know. I just kind of remember it turned midnight, nothing happened. And I was just kind of (laughs) like, like it would have been funny if like, you know, it, the lights went out or the power went out or something, but you know, that didn't happen. And, um,
1: you were more concerned about the T2 judgment day prophecy coming to pass. Yes. than all the fears about the new millennium.
0: Accurate. Yes, sir.
1: So, I mean, that, that makes sense. It just shows the generational gap here in the contrary. <laughs> I was I was never concerned about it just to make it clear. And I don't think I knew anybody that truly was. But I was aware that there were parts of the world that were freaking out that the, that felt that the computers were going to stop working and that just everything was going to crash. And I was like, "You know what? I just want to go party." And yeah. I I am glad I did because now in my twilight years I can look back and say, "Hey, I did I did the most with that opportunity." So that was that was good.
0: All right. So as we do from time to time, I'm going to rely on Julio a lot with this because uh, your boy uh, had COVID bad and then had Internet issues. So I watched half of this movie and it's there's a lot to watch here. So I watched half of it last week and the other half tonight. Uh, I, I know what happened, but I'm going to rely on our friends at Wikipedia and also my co host I'm going to lean on to help out with some of the plot. But um, we'll start off by saying, In the last two days of 1989, Los Angeles has become a dangerous war zone. As a group of criminals rob a Chinese restaurant, the event is recorded by a robber wearing a squid, an illegal electronic device that records memories and physical sensations directly from the wearer's cerebral cortex onto a mini-disc-like device for playback. Lenny Nero a former LAPD officer turned black marketeer of squid recordings buys the robbery clip from his main supplier tick elsewhere. A prostitute named Iris, who is a former friend of Lenny's ex-girlfriend, Faith. Justin is being chased by LAPD officers, Burton Steckler and Dwayne Engelman. Iris escapes on a subway car, but Engelman pulls off her wig, revealing a squid recorder headset. So Ray Fiennes is Lenny (laughs) Nero. No shit. And yeah, the movie starts in a first person. It's like you're playing fucking Call of Duty or something. And um, was it 97, 98? The Smack My Bitch Up video came out by Prodigy. That that whole thing's revolutionary concept was was first person. Uh, So when this movie began, it was just a first person robbery. And I had uh, very little to go off of with this movie. Besides, it was like. You know, alternate timeline of the future, uh, the would be future, written by Jim Cameron, directed by Catherine Bigelow and Ray Fiennes is looking pretty sultry on the poster. Um, <laughs> so I got real scared. I thought this whole movie was going to be first person.
1: <laughs> but you're like, oh god, this is this is what happens when I complain about the born cam.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah like, exactly.
1: The next level.
0: But thankfully, that's quickly dispatch i mean we get a lot of first person interaction in this movie uh but ralph and tick we, we kind of learn about what's going on and um the idea with this squid thing is like a it's not like a virtual re- I, I guess it is a virtual reality julio but it's more meant to be like an escape and you know because a lot of the ones we see that ray finds has are like memories that he recorded uh, we do see like it's used for like sex in some cases of someone like you know watching a video of a really hot girl or hot guy that that's the thing they talk about. So one of the guys he's trying to pitch squid to is like, you can be a girl, you can be a guy. Um, it's basically what the internet has become now. So James Cameron, of course, <laughs> always ahead of the curve. Uh, you know he can see a bit farther than the rest of us can. Uh, but in this case, it's illegal because why why is it illegal because it reminds you how shitty things are
1: no it's illegal because it's 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 somebody's memories so i think that the way he says is like it was originally developed as uh body cams for for cops i think that's what it was Mm -hmm. and then the black market took them and now it's just but basically you use them and it records your brainwaves your memories and then when you replay them you're not just watching, but you're also feeling everything, which is why the guy that tests the one about the the 18 year old taking a shower he he almost has an orgasm as as he's like just testing it. So I guess mainly because it's a huge violation of privacy. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, because I, I, that you're right. It's not virtual reality because it's someone's lived reality. Right. It's not like AI or something. It's um. Someone's memories, or someone wore this equipment to record a crime or something to give you the sensation of doing it. And sadly, we see some pretty fucked up shit that gets recorded throughout this.
1: It's pure and uncut, straight from the cerebral cortex. I mean, you're there, you're doing it, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're feeling it.
0: Uh, it is. We learned that it's we're entering the year 2000, 2K is on the horizon. They lament gas prices going up there's shootings everywhere um it's sadly uh (laughs) the news that they're playing is not too far off of what julio and i read or see every day also Um, did you
1: notice did you notice alex that there's no opening credits i didn't yeah i mean you get the title card you get strange okay but yeah
0: i remember strange days but i i didn't take that in interesting you know young christopher nolan was watching that taking notes and he was like I don't even need the title card. <laughs> I can just wait until the end of my movies to put all that shit up there.
1: I can out a
0: bigelow. So we learn it's illegal, as we mentioned. Uh, Iris is a character who comes into the equation, very disheveled and very concerned about some things that are happening. This comes around the time we learn of a prolific rapper named Jericho One who was murdered uh, the night before. And this is obviously there's civil unrest and racial unrest and the, you know, as Los Angeles is depicted here. And so I guess the world for that matter, at least the United States and uh, Jericho one seemed to be uh, a voice and a very important member of the black community. And his murder is really shaking things up. And we see like on Fox News, no less, there's tanks and like military (laughs) Uh, beginning to set up protection and barriers and shit for the New Year's Eve party and festivities that are to come just because tensions are running so hot. All right. Now, Jericho 1 here, played by Glenn Plummer, and it's not just a picture of him. He Actually, we have some flashback scenes with him. So he's actually in this movie. Mm-hmm. Glenn Plummer, would follow up Strange Days in 1995 with the role of James Smith in a previously covered Contrarians classic, Showgirls. He's oh, the dance no. coordinator <laughs> <laughs> that works with Elizabeth Berkeley. Oh, man. That guy, man. Glenn Plummer. Can you think, doing <laughs> the, the, with Catherine Bigelow, and the guy who wrote Terminator, and then Showgirls back to back, he thought by 96 he was going to be on top of the world
1: <laughs> what happened
0: <laughs> you want to know something showgirls made considerably more money than <laughs> strange days did
1: correct me if i'm wrong but i think this same dude is in the showgirls sequel
0: yes he is 2011 showgirls 2 pennies from heaven
1: well i rest my case your honor <laughs> bad call <laughs> i hope he fired his agent like, really? <laughs> this? This shit? All right.
0: Well, Jericho 1 is introduced.
1: Who, who is he? Keep that back it, of your mind. Then you get the feeling. This is where I'm going, where I start feeling like this was written by, by a white dude and directed by a white woman. And they just, like, they've heard that racism is a thing and they know that racial tension is a thing, but they don't really, haven't really experienced it. So they just kind of come at it not really sure like they're working it is like a game of telephone they heard from a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend that there's such a thing as racial tension and that this could escalate into something bad and so they're like well i guess but the year 1999 a rapper would be the the figure that would just be the catalyst to, to to bring to bring this potential civil war uh into america i can't i mean we're in the year 2023 can you think of a rapper or even any musician that would have that impact in the world. Taylor Swift. Touché. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jimmy Cameron just listening to NWA or maybe some ice cubes, like solo (laughs) stuff when he's writing this and he's like, this is going to change the world. (laughs) And, you know, in many ways it did, but just not in the way that James Cameron, uh, Saw it coming.
1: Yeah it 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 is it's just such a such a superficial I guess understanding of of rap. You know what I mean? Like I know music is important in general, but but they this movie equates Jericho one to Martin Luther King to Malcolm X. Right, his assassination is just it's that big of a deal, and maybe because we don't spend that much time with the character, but it, it just feels like a very easy shortcut but the movie does that a lot
0: i mean there is a little bit of real talk here there there's clearly some uh as far as racial tension specifically in los angeles goes some elements from real life that were taken you know the rodney king they almost kind of mimic it at the end with angela bassett and so i could kind of see where cameron's head was at it just it's uh one of those things of because he understood what he was writing doesn't mean that everyone watching it will understand what exactly this is supposed to Mean or signify. Uh, with that being said, so introduces the first exhibit of many in this film that Richard Kelly had watched this and thought no one else ever saw it, so <laughs> he just took a bunch of shit from it and put it into Southland Tales <laughs> as the rock and that. For anyone who's seen it, his name is Jericho. Jericho Kane.
1: <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the just the heavy military presence everywhere, dude.
0: If this movie was had actually been remastered and was in HD with what I was watching, some of those shots towards the end, would be like, oh, this is just Southland Tales.
1: <laughs> if you frame by frame it in some scenes, you can see Justin Timberlake and Janine Garofalo dancing in the background.
0: <laughs> All right. We've talked about her long enough. We got to bring Juliette Lewis into the equation. She plays Faith, who is Rafe Fines Nero's ex-girlfriend. She gets a very dignified first moment on screen where she's stripping her clothes off <laughs> while Bob Marley plays in the background. <laughs> but this is where we see some of the power of the the squid and the idea of it because he's just it's memories he recorded of them on vacation he's watching it back. Of them Which having is, sex. Yeah, that's what people do with cell phones now. <laughs> so it's
1: <laughs> okay, but the difference is that you don't feel it. Like if you're watching on your cell phone, you're just watching on your cell phone. This dude has it wired into his brain and I th- it's just
0: POV porn, dog. But like, I understand you don't feel it, but that's that's what this is. It's just James Cameron saw that people were going to watch POV porn and was like, I'm going to make a science fiction movie about it. Let's get to it.
1: But there is no consistency in the way that this quids work, I think, because when when he's having this whole experience with Juliette Lewis, right? So he's he's wired in, which means that he's feeling everything, but he's moving his hands. Why is he moving his hands when there's Everything like the feelings are being uh, transmitted directly into his brain, so he shouldn't be doing anything other than just kind of like sitting back and relaxing. He should have a huge boner, but but that's it. He shouldn't need to (laughs) to interact with something that's not there. There's no reason for him to interact. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, if that's what you're hung up on, I I have bad news (laughs) for you, Julio. That the rest of this movie is not going to make too much sense.
1: (laughs) I don't like half baked ideas, and this is from two major hollywood talents and cameron had already done terminator and that that script is is pretty tight as far as the way that things work yes we've talked before about how the franchise eventually loses its way but but at the beginning so i know that cameron can write better science fiction than this and i think that bigelow just let him slack because she should have pushed him and was like hey this doesn't make much sense can you uh (laughs) can you clean it up it, it does distract me, Alex. I'm sorry. You're going to hear me bitch through the entire episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lenny pines for faith and relies on emotional support from his two best friends, bodyguard and limousine driver, Lornette Mace Mason and private investigator Max Peltier. Pelletier, Fucking Tom Sizemore <laughs> with a long wig on. <laughs> So Mace and Lenny are friends, but she doesn't approve of the, the squid business. She doesn't like that he's in that. Uh, while Lenny and Max are drinking together at a bar, Iris drops a squid disc through the sunroof of Lenny's car before it is towed away. All right. So there are so many things that happen in this movie that have nothing new to do with the story. You forget about them. Uh, one of them is that, yeah, Iris drops this disc in Lenny's car, but his car gets towed, which leads to the sequence of him trying to like pedal fake Rolexes to the limo driver there's just a lot of like unfinished thoughts throughout this movie wouldn't you agree
1: yeah I mean his his car gets towed with that disc in and then we don't revisit this plot point until maybe an hour later in the movie I guess Iris comes up every now and then but but every time she comes up you're like what who who's that is that Angela Bassett is that Juliette Lewis (laughs) is that Michael (laughs) Winkett um yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. And there's in it's kind of connected, but not really. Uh, like Michael Wincott being Jericho's manager, but also being Faith's new boyfriend and also being just Michael Wincott, which this is right after, right before, the best role of his career as the captain in Alien Resurrection. Jean-Pierre Jeanette, like saw him in this movie and was like, man, you deserve better. Pulled him up. Yeah. Uh, I I can't tell you his if his performance is good or not. I just can tell you that he at least looks like he got a a, a script with punctuation, unlike Juliet Lewis, and they have so many scenes together that you know it just highlights it.
0: All right, well let's just go into that now because the problem is I've been trying to break this movie down bit by bit, and that's just not going to happen. This movie is <laughs> two and a half hours long. And there's a lot of like, I have a note here that says limo driver side quest, because I thought this was just going to be like how he got to the next place and that Mace wasn't actually going to be a character. So I'll try to string together the plot through this, because honestly, we've only covered like the first 30 minutes of this movie. Uh, So let's just get into it now.
1: Sleepless, pounding coffee after coffee, just typing away.
0: It was Sorkin that smoked a bunch of crack. And was it the West Wing that he wrote when he was high on crack?
1: Yes, do not compare Strange Days to The West Wing, Alex.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just saying.
1: For starters, and this is the, this is not just Juliette Lewis, but it just the dialogue overall in this movie is really bad. I think that Tom Sizemore gets the worst of it, uh, but overall he gets important. the the one line
0: though. It doesn't. He isn't he the one that says the world's full of marks? I was like, <laughs> yep.
1: He had to be a wrestling fan. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, amigo. World's full of marks. No one else thought of working like you do, pal.
0: I was trying against my better judgment not to find like all of the things this movie did prophesize in terms of just like people wanting to not think on their own anymore and just mm-hmm. uh, acquiesce to technology and, you know, computers and just the digital world. So there are some good lines of dialogue in there, but.
1: They're just lost in the sea of exposition and it's just clunky really
0: exposition dumb female characters that even Catherine Bigelow you know we have a female we got a a female captain you know she's steering the ship here but still the dialogue just couldn't be helped so that'll segue in Juliette Lewis it's way more about look at her in this because she is wearing some pretty uh, cool costuming and you know wigs and stuff but her character is pretty dumb and in the end, her motivations and intentions are never clear. After nearly three hours of movie, <laughs> it just kind of ends. And it's like, what did we learn, Palmer? What was the purpose of her being around here? So tell me about Juliette Lewis as Faith Justin.
1: Well, it's a two-part conundrum, right? Because one is, you're right, the character is very poorly written. It's, it's an enigma that doesn't have a satisfying solution. You're right, it doesn't make sense. Nothing about her makes sense. It doesn't make sense why she acts the way she acts. It doesn't make sense why Ray Fiennes is obsessed with her when she is clearly so toxic, so so unhealthy for him, and she treats him like shit. Uh, she's just like one step away from having sex with Michael Wenka just in front of him, and he he doesn't care. He keeps following her. So that's one side of it. But then the other side of it is just that I, I, I think that she's just not acting well. And I've seen her in other movies where she's great. So... The, the, the joke about the punctuation, it's actually, I mean, it makes sense. It, she's just, she treats everything like like they wrote the script, like her lines all in caps, with no commas, nothing. It's in everything, she's just yelling it, and, and there's no pause, there's no uh, nuance to the way she delivers the lines. It's just, I couldn't believe that, and you're right, the fact that there's a woman behind the camera makes it even more puzzling that she would, there's there's because there's only two female characters of note in the in the movie it's juliette lewis and angela bassett and already when she lets juliette lewis down so badly that's 50 percent of the female representation in the movie <laughs> down the drain and it's not like angela bassett fares much better badly she has more screen time so she gets to do something uh juliette lewis is just it, it's a complete wash for me bad performance badly written character and it's it, what happens at the end with her character, I just, I don't buy it for a second. And I wouldn't say that that's what sinks the movie for me, but it definitely doesn't help.
0: At the end of the movie, it's like, what was the purpose of any of that? Because I guess there's this moment to skip to it. There's a lot of double crossing along the way. And she like double, double crosses at the end. And it's, <laughs> but she still ends up just going to jail. And so it's like, well, what was the purpose of any of this? What was the the purpose of her character also? Because, uh, you know. A movie made in the '90s, your first instinct is going to be like, "Oh, they're going to end up together and run away together." And nope, that doesn't happen. So it just very confusing. Uh, we did mention Michael Wincott, Philo, the her now boyfriend, who has another great line of dialogue. This is the one that Cameron lit a cigarette and just sat back with his eyes closed and rocked for a while. After this, he says. Paranoia is just reality on a finer scale. I thought that was really good. This, meanwhile, <laughs> is in a nightclub where they are burning books. Again, something that uh, James Cameron saw would come back around in the future. I don't think they're burning books on like human rights, though. Kind of like the the fine people of Florida do these days. <laughs> it's at this point in the movie, based on my notes, that I finally was able to put my finger on what Ray Fiennes was doing, and it, that's an impression of James Woods's voice. <laughs> Ray Fiennes, of course, is uh, English.
1: Uh huh.
0: I mean, is a, a Shakespearean trained actor. He's of the stage. He knows how to project, you know, speak, command. And in this, I guess they were just like, be an American actor. And he's like, well, James Woods is an American actor. I'll do that because that's what he fucking sounds like. It looks like Bradley Cooper in The Hangover, and talks like James Woods. He got laid like crazy after this movie. <laughs>
1: So you think that he's trying to be American in the like sound American in this movie? Because I I couldn't tell at first and then I gave up and I was like, no, he's he's he sounds like a British person that's been living in the US for a while, so so he has a toned down British accent. No?
0: I I disagree.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I'll I'll go with your read. I, I just thought it was weird, but But then, you know, in this crazy future that Cameron and Bigelow are portraying, you know, that could just be the way that he talks. Maybe just being with the squid for so long has kind of fucked up his accent. (laughs) It's like in between. Now, who's who's Tom Sizemore uh, trying to be?
0: Tom Sizemore. There's only
1: one and only, man. (laughs) But
0: yeah, Max is, he's kind of like... Lenny's ear to the ground, and also what's going on in the police department. He's a PI, and so he he has his uh, intel, and so he he knows what's going on. That's illegal that Lenny does, but they're bros, so uh, he kind of looks the other way. Did you uh,
1: know what was going on, Alex? Could you tell from the fact that that it was Tom Zaysmore that uh, he was not going to be a good guy by the end of the movie?
0: Yes, when I saw the wig he was wearing, <laughs> I I knew right away that he was he was not to be trifled with. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a movie before too, so.
1: Was there anything in this movie that blew your mind? Because this movie tries to blow your mind a few times.
0: There's a line of dialogue that Vincent D'Onofrio has that I was like, whoa, what
1: was the point of that? (laughs) Um, All right. Angela Bassett. Let's let's just finish running up the the main players here because I I have complaints about all of them. Uh, Did you feel that Angela Bassett was taking this movie way too seriously? Like, oh. You know, on the other end of the spectrum is Ray Fiennes, who, who seems to be having way too much fun playing against type. It's like he's he's known for being the uptight British guy, and now here he gets to be the American's least ball. So, so he's having he, a blast.
0: He really does seem to be out of everyone of this having a good time,
1: right? He gets to he gets to be just uh, not not this comeback, but he's he's marmy. That's what he is. <laughs> he's just trying to weasel his way out of everything and and uh, angel bassett at first when she when she first shows out her first few scenes i'm like man she just doesn't want to be here because she's just angry and it, it just felt like that was a reflection of the actress's actual experience but then as as the movie went on i'm like no 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 it's not that it's just that she is playing this very straight and she's just acting like it's this major drama no well she, she doesn't get moments of levity in the in the movie and it just feels like she belongs somewhere else did, did you have that experience
0: yeah, I also, I didn't catch until towards the end that she's in love with Nero. That was like one of the things that surprised me when they has what? that moment.
1: What?
0: Yeah, where he asked, like, have you ever loved someone and they didn't love you back? And she just like looks into his eyes and says, yes, <laughs> I just thought they were bros. So that was like, oh, <laughs> shit. So I guess I was more surprised at my uh, inability to pick up on obvious context.
1: Well, she is. She's not playing the romance angle. To be fair, but but I felt that structure wise, I was like, oh, it's it's just obvious. That's why she's putting up with all his shit. Why else would she put up with with his shenanigans? And uh, and of course, my note says like, dude, Angela Bassett is right there, and you you just keep following Juliette Lewis like a puppy dog.
0: Yeah, when Angela Bassett's a fucking badass, and Juliette Lewis is clearly just not worth the trouble in this movie.
1: Yeah, Angela Bassett keeps saving his ass. And just so that he can go back to uh, whatever uh, club Juliet Lewis is playing at. You see, friendship is more than one person constantly doing favors for another. I know that. I, know. I don't hustle my friends. Yeah, you just suck people along with your schemes, your scams, and your slick act.
0: We're still buddies, aren't we?
1: Don't just be using the time that I'm talking to be thinking about what you're going to say next. You listening?
0: So we learn about blackjacks. This is where someone like Jackson and... With the squid, like committing a crime and not just like a robbery. Uh, unfortunately, we see some pretty grim business with Iris. There's a a squid of her being uh, raped and murdered, and we learn through this that the man, whoever did this, plugged her in while he was doing it, so she he could feel what she felt, right? Like the terror that she felt, or was it the other way around? She would I think feel the, what way, would feel. the other
1: way around. Okay, so she feels what he's feeling. I I couldn't tell you how that works. Like, here's the thing. Again, Alex, I'm going to nitpick because this movie is is wide open for nitpicking. If she's feeling what he's feeling and what he's feeling is pleasure, wouldn't she be feeling pleasure then?
0: It doesn't look that way.
1: I know. (laughs) She looks... Furthermore, because we see this when... Ray Fiennes is experiencing that, right? He he plugs in and he puts the disc in. So he should be feeling what the murderer felt, which, again, was pleasure. But he's acting, he's freaking out. He gets sick and, and he, he starts screaming. Why is he doing that when he should be feeling what the, what the murderer felt?
0: The bigger question is why he makes everyone else watch the tape and couldn't just <laughs> tell them what's on it. Right. Because we get to see like the terror in both Angela Bassett and Tom Sizemore when they watch it, and I think uh, Tick too. Yep, and it's he couldn't just like explain what happened.
1: <laughs> He's just passing around like a joint.
0: <laughs> it, it's it's like a, a Serbian film. Like I can't tell you; you just have to watch it, man.
1: <laughs> yep, it's true. It's true. Uh, and then of course we have to watch it too, so, so we're complicit. It's true.
0: Somewhere along the way here, I have it written that Juliet Lewis gets an Oscar scene. Faith tears is my note. That's where he tries to he comes and tries to take her because Iris, you know, is dead, and she begins crying and just saying, you know, you need to move on, get over it. And he goes down in one of those elevators. It's like an open uh, elevator shaft where he can look back up and see her, and she's crying, looking at him. It's very oh, it's emotional. A, it's a
1: Titanic shot. It is, is. Cameron. Like, do you think he took one from Bigelow here?
0: He took notes. He was like, hmm. <laughs> I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, Titanic made uh, slightly more money than the $8 million recoup for Strange Days.
1: It's all a marketing.
0: And Bigelow's like, you know why? It's because you fucking stole that elevator shot from me.
1: <laughs> Not even a thank you in the end credits.
0: So they know they're in trouble and they need to go find this tape that was in his car. Uh, they're packing up all the shit from Nero's place and I did audibly laugh at this. They're getting ready and he's, you know, changing his clothes and he looks in the mirror and he goes, "Shit." And she goes, "What?" He goes, "This tie doesn't go with blue because he has this red tie on." I Cameron is famous for kind of random jokes like that inserted into his movies, so didn't surprise me.
1: Do you think he had an argument with Bigelow about this? When she was like, "No. <laughs> this is a serious scene." No.
0: All right. So what are we doing here? We're on the run.
1: So so there's okay, let's 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 bring it all together as far as like what is going on. So somebody killed Iris, and the answer to to why she was killed has to be She was the-
0: hunted by Vincent D'Onofrio and William Fitchner. That's right. the thing. They wanted her dead. And that's what we see when she gets away from them initially. They rip her wig off and it has one of those recorders on it. So they know that she has Whatever they they were hunting her down for,
1: right. She recorded the entire experience. Now then she took that recording, put it in uh, Ray finds his car. Ray finds his car got towed. So eventually, after like two hours of movie, <laughs> they put that together. They're like, wait, remember how at the beginning of the movie she told you that she had something very important for you. so then they go and get his car. And An hour have, later. Yes, uh, we have a pretty generic action sequence. Is this with yeah, Fischner and Donofrio are there, right? Like two...
0: They show up, and Fischner shoots and kills a dog. And so my immediate thought is like, well, any possible outcome for this guy is not bad enough at this point. So. Would you
1: say you got your wish of uh, Fischner having a terrible fate inflicted upon him? <laughs> Dude,
0: I would, like even. <laughs> By the end, I was like, Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He just screamed. I was kidding.
0: Yeah. Well, that dog, that guard dog did not die in vain. (laughs) So the comeuppance eventually came. Uh, Yeah. So they get the tape. Vincent D'Onofrio and William Fitchner, the Steckler and Engelman, the cops, they know what's in there. So they try to get it back from him. He uh, gives them a tape, but it's really just one of his. (laughs) <laughs> amateur porn videos that he made with juliette lewis yeah
1: <laughs> Same with juliette lewis just having sex in the pool
0: but then they come back to get them and they're in the the limo angela bassett's limo they cover it in gasoline and set it on fire and with nowhere else to go you know they begin shooting at it and so they just gun it and they take off this pier and land in the water and then just like the most stereotypical 70s, 80s, 90s bad guys in an action movie. They just come over and look for the 30 seconds. They're like, let's get out of here. There's no way they survived.
1: Now, this this little tape that they recovered. So this is another one. I think it's just like a bad habit that Ray Fiennes has. Because this is another one where he just, he watches it. And then he could have just told Angela Bassett about it. But once again, I, he's like,
0: no. I wrote down the actual quote is, you got to see it.
1: <laughs> uh so this is where a uh, showgirls guy gets to to flex his chops, his acting chops.
0: Yeah, Jericho 1. The The sequence here is what was recorded by Iris, and she's in a car with Jericho 1 that gets pulled over by Steckler and Engelman, and they literally just execute this guy. It's really fucked up.
1: And Angela Bassett and Ray finds are like, oh, my God, white cops shooting a black man in America. People will never believe it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so the idea then becomes, you know, we have to get this to the public. They need to learn about it and enter Tom Sizemore, who gives a big mono He's in a tux at this point in the movie with his long, just stringy wig that he's wearing. And he's in a tuxedo because they're getting ready for the New Year's party. And Angela Bassett obviously wants this to go out to know that what happened to Jericho one, as she should rightfully so. And he gives her like this speech of like, you want that blood in your hands? You know, it'll happen. It's a, uh, you know, this will start a war. And I think she says something to the effect of maybe it's time for a war.
1: <laughs> uh, this is just legit. Like, "Concerts going to real talk. This is probably like the most interesting moment in the movie. Yeah. And this is w- because they're both making good arguments. This is yeah, something The
0: that- <laughs> End of gone, baby gone. It's the noble lie.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And. and- to say that the movie doesn't follow through <laughs> on this this very like interesting seed of an idea of a conflict i think mean, that that will be that's understating it but for a brief moment here they, they yeah Tom Sizemore and Angela Bassett have a really good argument about where the movie should go <laughs> during this third act and then it just kind of it goes a completely different way it uh, Actually, it kind of goes into this racial conflict that they're talking about, but it's it doesn't take it seriously, I don't think. But first, they need to handle the Juliet Lewis thing anyway. The, the movie needs to tie that loose end first.
0: Once Nero and Mace are able to actually get to Faith and have a conversation with her, she explains like this whole thing was a setup. They had Iris wear that because Philo he he. Did he want Jericho dead or just wanted to I, No, he was he was having
1: him followed. He Yes, that's it. Because he was paranoid that Jericho was going to leave his his agency, his his firm, whatever, you know, he was not going to work with him anymore. So he used Iris as a plant to to just follow him and record him and because he's obsessed with recordings and there's these shots as Juliet Lewis is telling this story, these shots of Michael Wincott Wired in with the squid on his head, drooling, looking like he hasn't taken a shower in like a week because he's because just- it's
0: like a drug, you can do too much and overdose on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and it'll so- just fucking fry your frontal lobe, it'll turn it into two runny eggs. I think is the analogy that uh Ray Fiennes uses.
1: Now, right? Fiennes, so then, Ray Fiennes, because he's obsessed with Juliette Lewis and obsessed with just how much he hates uh Michael Waincott, he is convinced that Michael Waincott is the person behind everything.
0: Yes, he can't just get out of his own way to see what's going on here. All right, so that brings into the equation here. Is it ever explained truly why Vincent D'Onofrio and Fitchner gunned down Jericho 1? Is it truly explained why they did that other than they were mad at him for making the LAPD look bad?
1: I think it's explained by that line from uh, Vincent D'Onofrio that that shocked you so much at the end.
0: Yikes. Yeah, racist white cop. Mm -hmm. Racist guy with a gun, pretty much. That's what it is. But anyway, all right. So, yeah, it's not part of a bigger conspiracy. It's just some really fucked up dudes that should have never been given guns in the first place. Um, So here Nero and Mace are trying to help Faith escape with them, and they get cut off by, you know, Philo's security team, and they smash a beer bottle over. Ray finds his head, and he immediately comes up, full five-alarm blade job. I thought that was pretty good.
1: (laughs) He didn't take as long as that. Mickey Rourke. He did it real fast. No.
0: no. So we go back to Mace's place. Nero's regrouping. He's talking to Max on the phone. He's strategizing what the plan of attack is going to be and then begins packing up. They're going to go back downtown. Mace tells him no, I'm not going. And this is what I was making mention of earlier where she, you know, through the questions asked, we learn that she's in love with Nero uh, because, you know, he was there for her and her family in a time of need and, you know, kind of stepped up and Helped provide like a fatherly figure for her son and just tells him he's an idiot and that, you know, this is faith isn't worth it, which is true. And then also here, this is the second time in the history of the contrarians where this happened. Uh, she says something and I immediately went, That's from a song. Uh the difference <laughs> being from the first time when we did Carlito's Way, uh, here come the pain, Pacino says, and I'm like, oh, that's from sick by slipknot from their self-titled album this i was like what is that from and i had to look it up it uh it's when she has him like press against the wall and says you know this
1: is this is your life right here right now you know what i'm talking about (laughs) it's a uh fat boy Slim.
0: hey good one man In one scene, around one hour and 43 minutes in, of five hours and 62 additional (laughs) minutes, (laughs) Angela Bassett yells at Ray Fiennes, this is your life right here, right now. The dialogue was sampled by British DJ Fatboy Slim and used in the hit song Right Here, Right
1: Now. Oh, this is the one that's the evolution of, uh, doesn't it start with just like a single cell and you eventually see that evolve all the way till it's a man?
0: Yes, exactly right, Julio.
1: Does it end with the person just sitting in front of TV?
0: Watching Strange Days.
1: <laughs> Grabbing a squid and just putting it on his head.
0: All right, let's fucking get this over with.
1: All right, so so New Year's Party. They he failed at, at rescuing Faith, so he's gonna try again. He's gonna follow it's the directions. Like
0: Southland Tales.
1: Yes. They're they're at the at the big Zeppelin. <laughs>
0: yes. Might as well be,
1: <laughs> yeah. Michael Wink at Zeppelin, and
0: uh it's downtown Los Angeles, and we're getting a bunch of fireworks and shit.
1: Yeah, uh, Tom Sizemore tells Rayfines go to the top floor. That's where she is. He goes. Angela Bassett. Oh, they split because uh that's his big moment. This is how you know that he's grown as a person. <laughs> yeah, he lets Angela Bassett take the the disc with uh, Iris's recording, so she can take it to the cops. Take it to Commissioner Strickland,
0: who is uh, the only person left that Nero thinks will actually take it seriously. He says his ass is so tight when he farts, only dogs can hear it. He says he's the only (laughs) cop left that takes it seriously.
1: Did Cameron uh, smoke a cigarette after that line?
0: It's just one of those. He's just like laughing to himself like, (laughs) oh, Jim, you bastard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He turned around to like tell Catherine Bigelow, (laughs) like woke her up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Hey, listen to this line. It's so good. (laughs) Uh, my question here and and this might be the last time i question the movie's logic but it's like why don't they make a copy of this very important uh, tape because it's not the original it's earlier in the movie when uh, juliet lewis is telling the story of what happened with, with michael wincott they show that michael wincott destroyed the original that means that this is a copy so if you can copy them why not just make Ten more copies, so that it's not this life or death situation. Where <laughs> if this if if this cop turns out to be dirty after all, they're completely out of luck. You know, they they should have yeah. stash copies, but of course. Yeah, if
0: you can like recreate human sensation by tapping into someone's brainwaves, you should be able to fucking put these mini discs in a CD burner and rip a copy.
1: <laughs> not even asking for a USB drive. <laughs> At least burn a CD. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, but yeah, this is uh Alex, were you screaming at Ray fines when he goes to the top of the, the Zeppelin or whatever, and uh there's a there's basically a a squid with a thing that says play me, and he does,
0: and it's a note that says, I'm a pimp, and pimps don't commit suicide.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is not a bad idea.
0: I just realized a minute ago, I was like, well, we're in downtown Los Angeles, and fireworks are going off, and like yeah i'm sure that happens every new year so that's not like uh an exclusive identifier but the optics and like the way it's being presented and the way like people are uh, crowded in the street just the palpable sense of tension it feels very much like the end of southland tales um and here like you said he goes up and he's just gonna take his eyes off the prize here and just you know Dial in and watch uh, whatever the new video is.
1: You're so vulnerable when you're using this technology. Why wouldn't you just scope out the the room first? Make sure you're alone, lock all the doors, and then you can just, just... go in
0: the bathroom and like lock the door and sit against it.
1: <laughs> you think Ray Fiennes just watches porn with the door open? He goes up to Starbucks and just,
0: just you know takes a shit with the door open. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's how much faith he has in humanity
0: <laughs> but during this mace is on the run and vincent d'onofrio and um what's the other guy's name i keep forgetting willing opening, yes opening scene of dark knight yep they want to catch up to her to ensure that she doesn't blow the lid off this whole thing back in the hotel room though as nero watches this video that he was given uh, we see yet again a pretty horrific display of uh, what we believe to be sexual assault on Juliette Lewis and the potential murder of her as the weapon of choice from the previous murder of Iris, the exacto knife, is pulled out. Uh, but then we learn that this was all kind of staged, and we see in the reflection of the mirror, <laughs> God damn it, couldn't trust Tom Sizemore.
1: Tom Sizemore having sex with Juliette Lewis. Getting kinky. I guess she seemed to uh
0: Oh, it's kinky. Like th- <laughs> there's someone out there who they're like kink is this scene. That's just what they yep. masturbate to, because it's Tom Sizemore having sex with Juliet Lewis from the perspective of Tom Sizemore.
1: <laughs> As he pretends I mean he doesn't pretend, he chokes her, but she's she's into it. And then and then there's the reveal where he looks in the mirror. <laughs> is it like he achieves orgasm and then he looks in the mirror or he looks in the mirror as he's achieving orgasm my mind has blocked it it's <laughs> <laughs> the
0: uh he looks into the camera the lens of the camera and he has no shame in that moment
1: <laughs> it's uh i guess it's supposed to be a big deal like a, a big reveal this was one of those moments i was referencing i like that it's supposed to blow your mind and I was just, I just shrugged because I was like, "It's obvious. You cast Tom more. I'm expecting him to, to, at the very least, not be trustworthy." I know that I was expecting him to have sex with Juliette Lewis in this movie, but it's not a big surprise when it happens. My honestly, my main thought was, "It finally happened. It uh, Scagnetti had sex with Mallory. He went from, you know, was it like, you
0: motherfucker? I didn't put those two and two together <laughs> until just this moment.
1: It's kind of because."
0: A, <laughs> They look so radically different in this movie than that, that I did not even think of that. Unbelievable. And he think, didn't even say, twist my nipple.
1: I was about to say that you think that's, that, that Cameron dropped the ball, not giving him that line? Absolutely, he dropped the ball. That would have been a more interesting hint. Because before the reveal that it's Sizemore, you just hear the voice say, twist my nipple. And then those in the know go like, "Ah, oh, <laughs> I know where he's going. Well,
0: and shame on Sizemore and Lewis for not saying, "Hey, you know, we kind of had this thing going on in this other movie."
1: <laughs> they wanted to make it a thing, like every movie they were together, <laughs>
0: <laughs> nipple twisting yeah. in each and every
1: incarnation. Bring it back. The '90s were wild. I love you, Max. <gasps> You're so, <pretty> <gasps> so, is this uh, is this Tom Sizemore's uh, big Oscar? scene when he gets to explain what's been going on in the movie
0: i mean it's a scene <laughs> uh there's i don't fucking know man i just have exposition written in all caps <laughs> Hold on, explain this to me
1: he, so here's what happens he was hired by michael wincott to be juliet lewis's bodyguard and in the process of that juliet lewis and him started having an affair Mm -hmm. and then michael wincott told him that he needed to kill iris because iris knew too much so he went and killed iris and then michael wincott wants him to kill juliet lewis but he's not going to do it because he's in love with juliet lewis and instead he kills michael wincott and that's that's another big reveal that he fried michael wincott's brain using a Using the tape of him having sex with uh with Juliette Lewis, and uh, then while
0: he's brain dead, he shoots him in the head. It's pretty yes. metal actually.
1: And then he takes that squid and leaves it for Ray Fiennes to use. So Ray Fiennes mm-hmm. is using like secondhand squid, <laughs> like a squid that's already been on uh, Michael Winkott's head. Has all his sweat and his uh, uh fried egg brain all over it, and then he just put <laughs> it on, like no no head condom or anything.
0: During all this is when I realized this is not a HD rip of the movie. That's where I was at this point. I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> is anyone else bored? Out.
1: It's it goes on forever. It's unnecessary. You know, it's Tom Sizemore. We know he's a bad guy. We can we can piece it together. But then <laughs> I don't care about any of this. What really what really gets on my nerves is that he's about to kill Ray Fiennes. and Juliet Lewis saves uh Ray Fiennes' life. Why? Yeah, it's
0: the double double cross.
1: There is nothing in this movie that would make me believe that she cares for him at all. No, she no. was she was just like five minutes ago. She was having sex with with his best friend.
0: In this fracas, Tom Sizemore's wig gets pulled off, which we learn he's got a squid in there. So he's you know just filming everything that he does, and so all his crimes theoretically exist on mini discs somewhere.
1: So anyway, get to his- uh, so camera predicted TikTok.
0: Yes. Just Predicted camera idea. phones and shit. Hey guys. And uh GoPro's and yeah, selfie sticks. When he gets his wig pulled off though, Tom Sizemore looks like Eddie Kingston here, AEW wrestler. And I was, I just, I was laughing to myself really hard because Eddie Kingston's awesome and he's very menacing and there's just some facial expressions and it's the way his hair is with his eyebrows and shit. It's, you know, they definitely don't look alike today, but he looks like King here. Uh, their scuffle spells out onto the balcony Ray Fiennes throws Tom Sizemore over the edge, but he's holding onto his tie, the tie from you know the the one that didn't match earlier. And no, he's not wearing a red tie. He might have been wearing a blue one here. I need to go back and that might be the one thing they pay off in the movie. So I need to go back and revisit that. <laughs> so while he's hanging there. He's like, I'm bringing you with me. Mickey, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> and Rafe pulls a knife out of his back that was stabbed in there by Tom Sizemore. And he cuts his tie. So. <laughs> Tom Sizemore falls a considerable ways down to his death.
1: Do you feel that The Departed ruined this type of fall in movies for, for everyone that has watched The Departed? Like once you've seen Martin Sheen explode upon impact uh, just every other fall just looks fake. I don't know, I appreciated here
0: how Sizemore's stunt double was like frantically kicking his legs and moving his <laughs> arms like flailing on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> But then he, you know, he hits. That's a difference here. The stunt double fell off probably something that was 10 or 15 feet onto that van to make the effective impact. Whereas I think with Martin Sheen and the departed Scorsese, just threw like a bag of <laughs> blood off off the side of a building.
1: Uh, and then the movie's over, right? Like,
0: that's it. Oh, no. Mace is still on the run from Vincent D'Onofrio. And they get her cornered, so she just beats the shit out of them. It's actually pretty cool. Gets them handcuffed, and, you know, it's like The Departed. That's a good one to bring up, because it's kind of like, I don't care if this is going to stick or anything, I, I, but I've got you apprehended at this moment. Other cops show up and then just start beating the shit out of her with nightsticks, and it's uh, eerily reminiscent of, I mentioned Rodney King, but also just, sadly, a lot of things that we've seen in the years since this movie that have happened. I was going to say America,
1: um, just in general.
0: Yeah, But the people Los Angeles are down there and It turns into a riot they turn on the police And uh, It's just a full scale Mayhem at least for a few minutes Until Angela Bassett And Ray finds Kiss and then everything's okay (laughs) But anyway what happens is
1: (laughs) It's so true (laughs) (laughs)
0: Commissioner Strickland shows back up He watched the tape He says that both of those officers are under arrest for murder Uh, He tries to have Angela Bassett escorted Vincent D'Onofrio and uh, Fitchner are chained up Fitchner, as they're attempting to arrest him, takes a gun And then horrifically commits suicide He shoots himself in the face This sends D'Onofrio into a tailspin where he draws Uh, I I think he takes a gun from another cop or draws one from a cop on the ground and begins marching down Angela Bassett and has just a really wild line of dialogue that was completely unnecessary and goes to shoot her. But then all the cops, you know, lower your weapon type thing. And when he doesn't, they gun him down in the street. So, yeah.
1: That's where the movie went into fantasy. Went from science fiction to fantasy (laughs) because racism stopped in America right away. Happy ending. The
0: thin blue line stopped racism. Yep. LOL.
1: There was not a single uh, internet troll that just showed up to be like, oh, actually that cop had a point.
0: <laughs> so anyway, our bad guys definitely got comeuppance in a very violent, brutal fashion. And the movie ends shockingly after all we've been through. and Nero embracing a kiss and
1: because they realize like they're they're kinda of, like talking their out to part ways and then they realize they were standing underneath mistletoe.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I was about <laughs> to say also it just it turned midnight, so it's two thousand now. So, you know, it shows everyone else having their New Year's kiss and that's really how it ends.
1: It really does. It's like they brought up that 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 very uh thought-provoking conversation between Tom Sizemore and Angela Bassett about how this was such a messy situation. Are you sure you want to do this? Because it's it's just once you do it, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And uh, and then she does it, and you know what? It turns out that it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> so, yeah, she she makes the tape public, and all that happens is that the two cops get well. Actually, they don't even get arrested. They they get you know one kills himself, and the other one gets shot by by the good cops.
0: Oh yeah, they face no actual justice.
1: Right, and and then the world doesn't know any better it's it's like there was all this the undercurrent of racism and racial tension in america is just ignored for the sake of a happy ending <laughs> it was like you can't just bring us all the way to the brink and then kind of like back out and refuse to make a statement about it if this movie was about racial tension and i believe that it was because it's it's basically the main conflict that's built on it you can't end the movie with just... Is it just because Ray Fiennes is white and Angela Bassett is black? And then that's how Cameron and Bigelow think that they're making a statement about it? It's like, oh, but they kiss at the end. So racial harmony. It's such bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty weak.
1: It's like I said at the beginning. It feels like people that have no experience, no real... Nothing of substance to say about racism or racial tension... Making the effort, I'll give him that, to to do something, you know, to to write a story around it, and then just coming up short.
0: If nothing else, though, Julio, it gave us Tom Sizemore in a meatloaf wig. (laughs) And also, if you just want to think of how this could have potentially been worse and more of a disaster, Catherine Bigelow originally wanted John Travolta to be Nero and the lead here.
1: Fuck, that movie sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, Tom Sizemore. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it was john travolta and then andy garcia
1: i'm sorry andy garcia i love you but no travolta travolta it's like oh my god you gotta see this <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly <laughs> andy garcia just you gotta fucking see it you know they it has no time for it <laughs> travolta oh my god you gotta watch this oh my god <laughs> all right that's that's enough of this this episode at this point is going to be as long as the movie so let's move along to real talk
1: let's go to real talk